for people that haven't studied the Holocaust and don't understand that years before millions and millions of Jewish people throughout Europe were rounded up and killed, for years they were demeaned and stereotyped in a way that caused people in power in European society to see them as a scapegoat and primary threat to their advancement. And once Jewish people were accepted as a threat, suddenly people were able to mistreat them in ways that never would have been acceptable otherwise. And that's why, in many ways, much of what Kanye West said was dangerous because he was parroting old stereotypes, like the exact stereotypes of Jewish people as puppet masters in the entire world, which is not true. It's... It could be easy for people who identify with some of what Kanye was saying about who owns and runs the music business in America. Like, there can be a conversation there, but a conversation that is healthy and and respectable and planned for does not end with someone like Kanye saying, I'm going DEFCON 3 on the Jews. You can't say that. You should not say that. And now what we're seeing is literal neo-Nazis popping up all over the country and around the world, feeling emboldened by Kanye West. Let me unpack and explain it. We have a lot to discuss. This is Sean King, and you're listening to The, the, the Breakdown. For years before I was canceled, (laughs) I used to be invited to colleges and universities and businesses to help them plan how to address issues of racial injustice, um, issues of racism and bigotry inside of their corporation or on their college campus. And I'll repeat, I could teach entire workshops on this, but I'll repeat a primary thought that I would often give because colleges, universities, and businesses would normally come to me after they had tried something and failed very miserably. And what I realized was when colleges and universities, like let me, let me give an example. When a college or university plans on having someone like me speak on King Day or speak for Black History Month, sometimes when I would go to a college or university, I could tell that they had worked for months and months on that event not just on on booking and scheduling me and getting me there, but on the promotions, the planning, what happened before I spoke and after I spoke. I mean, like, 
I could tell that people had worked sometimes for a year, six months, nine months for what would turn out to be a two hour event. And and yet. When they would try to have an internal conversation, say, with black student leaders, white student leaders, a mix of Latino student leaders, Asian-American student leaders, or a mix of students and a mix of faculty and staff to then come together and talk about issues of race, racism, bigotry, and injustice. Nine times out of 10, those conversations would devolve into something extremely unhealthy, infuriating, and sometimes even traumatic for people in the room. What would often happen is white people in the room would say something that they thought was helpful but was actually extremely unhelpful, and maybe to them they didn't know that what they said was racist or bigoted in some kind of way, and tensions would rise in the room and it would devolve into arguments and disagreements, People would storm out of the room. People would then critique the meeting and say, I I never should have done this. And then they would call me. (laughs) And the first thing that I would advise people to do is just as you spend six to nine months or a year planning for a school-wide event, you have to spend a significant amount of time planning for a healthy, productive, difficult conversation about around race, racism, injustice, inequity. If you want to have a serious conversation around that, it typically requires three or four things. One, a whole lot of planning. Two, someone highly capable and skilled and respected by everybody at the table to moderate and host the discussion. It requires, typically, a set of ground rules to keep people from, one, dominating the conversation, two, taking the conversation somewhere ugly and crossing lines and boundaries that will then put people in a place where they're no longer able to listen properly and speak properly because they're angry. So you have to have ground rules that people know in advance. People have to agree to the ground rules. And if you do all of these things and more, and and preferably have people read some things and think through some things and answer some questions before they ever arrive at the meeting, if you do all of those things, there's still like a 50-50 chance that the meeting will go well. You just took it from a guaranteed failure to this thing could really work. And if it doesn't work, it tends not to devolve into something explosive. But if you do all of those things and the conversation doesn't work, it just means that you weren't able to solve some of the problems that you hope to solve. And even that's part of it, setting realistic expectations. And that's not often what we're doing. Like. When you invite Kanye to drink champs or a Pierce Morgan interview or anywhere else, the things that are necessary for a healthy conversation, if if we want to have a conversation 
about tensions between African-Americans and Jewish Americans. And in that conversation, we want to talk about the music industry, the film industry, um, uh, bad contracts. We want to talk about that stuff. There is a way to do it. There is. I already know people that you could invite to the table. That would be brilliant. That would be vulnerable. That would that would listen and then speak with intelligence and compassion. We could have that healthy conversation. We could. I know we could. I've seen healthy, productive conversations on some of the most difficult topics you could ever confront in America. But if you don't do those things that I just said, certainly if you just flip on the mic and say, hey, Kanye, how are you? Let's talk. That's just going to devolve into something ugly. Every single time. And in, a, and in a lot of ways, Kanye is setting himself up for failure, whether he knows it or not. And, and you know, like, he probably feels like what he's doing now is super righteous because when you get attacked, that's kind of how the brain works. So it's like, oh, I must. There's this thing that we say, like, oh, you must be on to something or they wouldn't be mad. It's like, no, people can also be mad because you said something ugly, that you said something dangerous. But when you don't do all of those things and then you invite Kanye to the table to talk about it, you're also setting him up for failure. Yes, he is only responsible for himself. Like, no one else is fully responsible for anything Kanye says. He is primarily responsible for it. But if you invite him to the table without doing all those things that I just said, and then you try to talk about race, racism, uh, uh, issues around who controls the music industry and the film industry that are going to focus on Jewish people, man, that thing got ugly quick. And anybody that says it didn't is lying. Or if they're not lying, they just don't understand. I remember, gosh, seven years ago, I was saying something and multiple Jewish people that I respected that followed me replied to me and said, well, what you're saying is anti-Semitic. And I was like, what do you mean? How? How is that anti-Semitic? And they explained it to me. And I came to understand that it was. And that I was ignorant about what was anti-Semitic and what isn't. It's just as white folk can regularly be ignorant about what's racist and what isn't, what's offensive and what isn't. We have to accept that. But when someone, Kanye West may be one of the 10 or 20 most famous people in the world, for real. When one of the most famous people in the world Start saying things like, I'm about to go DEFCON 3 on the Jews. Yeah, that's going to create a problem. Yeah, that's going to empower a lot of ugliness. And now we see literal neo-Nazis doing Heil Hitler salutes, quoting Kanye, saying he inspired them to come out and be bold. And... I see people say something every day 
that I could not disagree with more strongly. Hate speech is dangerous. It spreads like a virus. It grows and festers and always boils out of control. It is an uncontrollable virus. Racism and hate quickly, by definition, get out of hand. And when one of the single most well-known, popular, beloved, controversial figures in the world start saying things that credible people who understand hate speech and bigotry in America say, you have crossed the line here. It's not that you can't talk about the music industry. Of course you can. But you have crossed the line. At the point in which Kanye was saying that Jews sent Diddy after him. At that point, you're doing two things. You're lying about Diddy. And you're lying about Jewish people saying that, in essence, they control anything anyone else does. Like, here's the thing. At this point in my life, I don't have a lot of support from a lot of Jewish people, particularly Jewish people that closely identify with with Israel, because I so often speak out against the bigotry against Palestinians. It has caused a major backlash in a lot of ways. And, And yet, In spite of that, I know what's anti-Semitic. I I have a very good idea what's anti-Semitic and bigoted against Jewish people and what isn't. And when you start making it out that anybody that calls to check in on you is controlled by Jews, that's an anti-Semitic trope of the Jewish puppet master that controls everybody and everything. It doesn't exist. It's a lie, a complete fabrication. You're wrong. And when you say it, any of you, when you say it, you are now responsible for the consequences of it. And this thing has spiraled out of control. And by definition, that's what hate that comes out of your mouth will always spiral out of control and take on a life of its own. It's a virus. And so listen, if we want to have a serious conversation about ownership in the music industry, ownership in the entertainment industry, let's talk about that. Let's plan for it. Let's think it through. There's a way to have that conversation. And we can include Jewish people in the conversation. But we would have to prepare for it, think through it, create some ground rules, Make sure everybody at least has a base level of of the same understanding going into the meeting. And we could do it. That's not what Kanye is doing. What he's doing is dangerous. And any of you who say that it's not dangerous, that it's just free speech, you're wrong. Listen, I've got to run. Love, 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 and appreciate all of you. Happy Monday. And if you're not yet a member of the North Star, why? Why not? Go now to thenorthstar.com and become a member today for as little as eight bucks. All right? Love and appreciate all of you. Take care. Break it down. Break, 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 break.
I'm Tiffany Hawkins. I'm Alan Boomer. And we are the Momentum Advisors. Every single week, we talk about wealth management, personal finance, and entrepreneurship. We are financial advisors by day. We're entrepreneurs by night. We're building wealth for ourselves, and we want to make sure that you understand how to build wealth in your own family. Tune in for shows like Is Your Money Racist, Retirement Savings, Investment 101. We literally run the gamut on all the things that you need to know about financial wealth, creating a legacy for your family, and really just wealth creation as a whole. What we find is that these conversations are happening, but they're not happening as much as they need to in diverse communities. And so we're bringing a new voice, a new amount of energy, and we want you to tune in. So we bring the tips, we bring the strategy, and we always bring the good news. So make sure you tune in every week to the Momentum Advisors. There's something for everyone. Show. 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 Show.